Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 16, says this. One day, as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who, was, who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling the future. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly it left her. Somebody say amen. amen. Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered, so they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities in the marketplace. The whole city is in uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city officials. They were teaching customs that are, not, that are illegal for the Romans to practice. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas and the city officials, ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. Well, how about that? They were severely beaten and they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet into stocks. Somebody look at somebody else and say, you just thought you had a rough week. <laughs> Shake a couple of hands as you're seated in his presence this morning. Wow. Wow. See, I just want to jump directly in the word this morning because I believe that this word is important for somebody to hear. Because I, I, I got to know, have you ever felt like you've been doing everything right, but everything was going all wrong in your life? <laughs> I'll tell you what, just for the sake, I want to say a show of hands. Have you ever been doing everything right, but everything seemed to be going wrong? Somebody show, okay, praise the Lord. This sermon's for somebody in, this, in here this morning. Because I want you to know that sometimes when things are going wrong, I start going through a little Sunday school checklist in my mind. Have I read my Bible? Have I prayed? Have I gone to church? Whew, glory. <laughs> and I think to myself, I've done everything right. But why is it going all wrong? And, and I gotta be honest with you, this morning sometimes I feel like even though I'm doing everything right, all hell seems to be moving against me. And I'm not talking about just the regular everyday stress and pressure. I'm talking about stuff that is real and hard. Some people refer to it as rough patches. Rough patches. And some people refer to it as difficult times or seasons. But I'm not about to be all hyper-spiritual with you this morning. I'm going to be honest and straight up this morning. We're just going to talk about it like it is. We are stressed. We're pressured. And it's more than just the everyday stress and pressure that we all can experience and we all know. It's something more. It's the kind of stress and pressure that comes whenever you're paying your tithe, but you still feel broke. It's the kind of stress and the pressure that you, you get whenever you bring in your kids to church or you brought them to church, but they're still being unfaithful to the Lord. It's the kind of stress and pressure that you have whenever you brought Jesus to your work, but it turns out you work for the devil. <laughs> it's the kind of stress and pressure that you experience whenever you love your spouse and you pour everything that you have into your relationship, but things are as cold as they've ever been. That's the kind of stress 
That's the kind of pressure, that's the kind of circumstance that some of us find ourselves in even this morning. It's not just regular stuff, it's the stuff that brings us to our knees. It's the stuff that we are grieved with. It's the stuff that seems to follow us around day after day after day, wearing us down one step at a time, wearing us down one little bit at a time. But in, the, in spite of it, we know that we serve a God that can deliver us from all of these things, amen? See, I, I want you to understand that, that when we read this passage of Scripture, Paul is traveling with a, a, a band of brothers, so to speak. It's, it's Paul and Luke and Silas and Timothy. And, and they're traveling, and they've, they've traveled into a, a city known as Philippi, okay? And as they, as they begin to preach the word to the Gentiles, saying for the very first time that they can be, that they can be saved, that they can be made right with God, and it's the truth Something happens. The thing that was following Paul around, the thing that was stressing him out, the thing that was exasperating him was literally a person. It was a, a demon-possessed young lady. And the Bible tells us exactly what that looked like. Uh, in verse 17, it says that that demon-possessed young lady followed them around, telling everyone, expressing to everybody that these men have come so that people can know how to be saved. It's, it's interesting because we actually, through archeological reference and through the word of God, we can understand a little bit more in particular about this young lady, okay? This young lady probably was a, a prophetess of the Oracle of Delphi. And as you as you think about what this is, this, is, this oracle was, was located there in Philippi, and it was a, a place where many people would come in, and over a period of nine months out of the year, they would come in, and in certain days and in certain times, they could get into touch with one of three prophetesses. And they would come to this person, and they would lay their question before them, and then that person, would, the, the prophetess, would, would tell them their future. It, it's called divination. And, and she would tell them their future, and they would pay a lot of money, as you can imagine, to try to ascertain the future. This was a very political, very uh, military, big reference point, you could tell, and there was a lot of cash that exchanged hands in this, in this way right here. This was a big, booming business uh, for, for this area, the Oracle of Delphi. And what we also know about this girl is that the, the Word of God tells us that she had a, was demon-possessed or was filled with an evil spirit. But when we look at what this really means, we find out that the Greek translation of this was actually a spirit of python a Pythian spirit in her. Now, as we read and, and reflect on the word of God, we, we can associate that with, okay, well, yeah, sure, she was demon-possessed. And so it was, like, it was like, okay, we're talking about Satan or the devil, and, and yes, that's true, but, but see, as Luke was writing this in the Greek, he understood the Greek language, and, and he wants us, 
He's trying to tell us something about the Spirit in particular, about the way that the Spirit manifested with her. And I, I, I need you to understand this this morning because the Spirit of Python was actually a reference point of a statue of a, of a serpent python that guarded the temple, of, the temple of Apollo, okay, right there in Philippi. And so she's the oracle of Delphi that, that was connected to the worship of Apollo and guarding the temple of Apollo. But Python is, is also the Greek word that we get another word from. It's ventriloquism. I know, this is crazy stuff, but it's true. This is where we find ventriloquy or ventriloquism. And so what Luke is trying to help us to understand is that this evil spirit that was at work in her was speaking as if she was someone else as she would give this divination to her audience, to the people of Philippi, to the, as the oracle of Delphi. And, and I need you to understand something this morning. She was telling the truth. She was speaking the truth that these men were there to to help everybody understand how to be saved. But as she spoke it, it was coming out of some kind of demonic voice that she was using as she was doing this divination. And I need you to understand that the truth can be used by people and it can be twisted by people to try to draw the people of God away. This morning, you need to understand that there are some people and some voices in your life that are speaking to you that sound good, that sound right, but you need to switch off. There are some voices in your life that can be speaking to you and God can allow us to have the Holy Spirit and and say, say in the name of Jesus, you know, go away. But some of us, all we have to do, we don't even have to evoke the name of Jesus. Some of us just have to hit the power button on a remote control and turn the TV off. Amen? Because there's voices in this culture, in this, in this society, that are trying to speak to you, and they sound good, and they sound real. But it's demonic. It's evil. It's not right. And as the people of God, we have to understand and know the shepherd's voice and understand what he's speaking to us and not speaking out of the other side of his mouth, but he's speaking directly to us. And I also, I want, I want students to understand this and, and, and adults too, is that sometimes it's not the remote control, but it's, sometimes it's in your scroll. You know what I'm saying? Young people, you don't have to click on everything that, you, that comes up in your scroll. <laughs> and parents, I, I want you to understand this. If you, if you don't understand what I just said to your students, then you need to have a conversation with them. <laughs> Learn about how, how their minds work. Because, because voices are important in our lives. And we determine, contrary to popular belief, we determine who gets to speak into our voice, into our hearts and our lives. Parents, you get to determine who gets to speak into your kids' lives. Not anybody or anyone else. It's your responsibility, parents. And parents, take equal responsibility for yourself. Sometimes in, in uh, pastoral counseling, I, I talk to people, and it always blows their mind whenever I, I tell them that they are responsible for their own actions. And it's like, 
It's like they get it. We all know that we're responsible for our, ourselves. But it, what's hard to understand, what's hard to, to get is that if you were to, instead of be responsible for you, if you were to replace yourself with somebody else, and it's like you're looking at yourself, how can you tell yourself what's best for you? And many times when we, when we, look, at, when we look at another person, it's so clear and it's so easy to determine what's best for somebody else because our emotions and, our, and the dilemma is so, is so disconnected from who we are. It's so easy, and it's so easy to tell somebody else what's good for them, but we're in the same exact situation. It's hard to determine what's best for us and because our emotions are all trapped in, in that. I want somebody here this morning to understand this, that you should govern your life like you were looking after someone else, that you're taking care of somebody else. And, and, and should, would I allow somebody else to watch that program? Would I allow somebody else to, to go to that website? Would I allow somebody else, would I think it was right and proper for that to happen? And when we begin to govern ourselves like we, get, we would govern someone else, then, then we can be one step closer to drawing closer to the Lord and shutting those voices down in our lives that don't need to be speaking to us with such intensity and volume. Wow, that, that point was for free. So Paul turns to this young lady as she is traveling around yelling, and he's exasperated about it because she's obviously yelling in some very distracting voice, and he casts the demon out of her. Now, immediately, the, 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 the people that were in control of this oracle understood that she had lost the ability in some way to... to to perform the divination that she was doing. And, and they, they were infuriated because this was their link to wealth. This was their money. And so they dragged Paul and Silas uh, to the authorities. And these were probably, since it was a Roman colony, probably the Praetorian Guard uh, for, for Rome. And they made their case known to the Praetorian Guard and they claimed uh, that they were creating some kind of disturbance and pre preaching and teaching something that was unlawful for the Romans to, to, to do, to the Romans to do. And what we find out is actually their, their claim was the, against the Pax Romani law and it was the religio illicita uh, law, which was that they were eliciting people to, to, to go into a religion or a belief system that was against Rome. Now, remember back in the day, the disciples of Jesus were trying to help people understand that the Messiah, the ruler, the Lord had come, and you must make right with him and make him the Lord of your life. And Caesar is supposed to be Lord. And so immediately we see that Christendom, that Christianity was opposed to Caesar as being Lord. And in and, and that moment, the Praetorian Guard said, we're going to put this out as fast as we can. And so Praetorian Guard ordered that Paul and Silas be taken to the prison. And they didn't want them to escape. They want, didn't want anybody to break them out. And so they, they ordered that they be taken into the third layer of this jail, the dungeon. These prisons were divided into three layers. You had, you know, you're kind of, they could walk around, they'd be, be outside, they just had to stay there type prison. They had, they had nice little pretty windows that they couldn't get out of and all this stuff. 
Okay, and then you'd go into the second layer, which was the inner layer, where they still had windows, but there were bars now, and they couldn't escape out of that. But then there was the dungeon, the, the top security place. This was where the murderers went. This is where the people that were trying to overthrow the government went. And, and it wasn't good enough just for them to be placed in solitary confinement inside of a room that didn't have any, any light, any windows, but they locked their feet into the stocks so that even if something were to happen, they couldn't run away. They couldn't run away. And watch this. It was just Paul and Silas because in this moment, they realized that Timothy, right? Timothy and... Um, See, it was Paul, Silas, Timothy, and who else were it? Who? There it is. They were Roman citizens, right? And so Paul was a Roman citizen, but he was actually dual citizenship. And he chose not to reveal the fact that he was, had dual Roman citizenship because he was going to allow that to come into play and catch them and entrap them in their own laws. And so... This actually occurs later on, but I want, I want you to understand that Paul and Silas were brought into the innermost part of this prison after they were beaten with wooden rods. I wonder, have you ever spoken the truth and somebody didn't appreciate it? I mean, I mean to tell you, you, you have... You, you spoke the truth. You, you said something inside of a relationship that was true and you meant it for somebody else's good and they didn't take it right. And you feel like you got beat up a little bit because of what you said or the way that you believe or, 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 or because you were walking faithfully to the Lord. And, and maybe you were demoted at work or maybe you, you, you experienced a bad breakup because of your belief system. Maybe you were, you've been dealing with your kids and they, they resent you because of, of going to church or believing in God or, or, or they act like you're trying to push their belief, your beliefs onto them, which it couldn't be further from the truth. It's the conviction of God inside of them that, that, that they're wrestling with. And, and, and you spoke the truth and somebody didn't appreciate it. You see, you need to understand that, that they didn't appreciate Paul and Silas preaching this truth. And the same laws that governed over Christ's uh, crucifixion governed over the, the, uh, the, the beating of Paul and Silas. And so the Praetorian Guard ordered that Paul and Silas were beaten with wooden rods. This could have been exchanged with the cat of nine tails. It was either the cat of nine tails or rods. It didn't matter. But, but it was still 40 less one stripes with the rod. Why not 40? Is 39. Why not 40? It's because anything over 39, they would consider that death would be a potential from that beating. So this is not just a roughing up in the, in the alleyway. Think of these wooden rods as, as thick dowel rods that as they swung in quick succession, those dowel rods would bend and arch across the backs of the, of the person that was being hit. And as they, as they would be hit, they would, they'd received big whelps across their back. It was likely that they received 39 times of uh, uh, stripes on their back 
before they were put into prison. This would have created a situation where Paul and Silas, it was hard for them to sit down. They couldn't stand up. I'll tell you, my my dad's right here in in this place. There there have been times, Dad, I'm not trying to call you out, but there have been times where I, I deserved it. I know, I know. But it was hard for me to try to figure out whether to stand up or sit down after getting a spanking. Anybody else be, been there? I'm not gonna report you, it's fine. And Paul and Silas were likely in that position. They, they hurt to sit down and it hurt to stand up. It hurt to walk. Things were going wrong. They couldn't see because there, were no, there was no light inside of this jail cell. Their feet were trapped and locked into stocks. They couldn't move around. And it was just them there in the echo of what was going on. The echo of that cell. See, prisons really come in all shapes and sizes, don't they? I mean, we know what Paul and Silas's prison looked like. But our prisons can look different, can't they? Our our prisons take on different shapes and sizes. It could be a prison where you feel trapped inside of a, a relationship that you don't share any love in, but you love that other person. It, it, it could be a, a prison of our own devices where, where we feel trapped in a job that we have because we weren't, for some reason, able to get the education in order to take that next step, the education or training. We can have a, a prison in our life where we're, we're trapped inside of a a financial prison where we feel like we we can't make enough money in order to make the ends meet. And so we're trapped on this conveyor belt of having to live week by week and we don't know what to do or where to go or how to get out of it. And it feels like a trap. It feels like a prison. You can't see the way out. You can't see the light at the end of the tunnel and you don't know how to, how to escape. And this passage in the Bible is particularly it's terrifying because when we look at it, we see Paul and Silas doing everything right, but everything seems to be going wrong. Paul in this moment is 46 years old. It's kind of that midlife where you kind of look and you see the past and you think, you can see everything that led up to that moment, but you look forward in your future and you think to yourself, I still have time to change my mind if I need to. I I have time to to change careers if I need to. I, I have time to rethink the kind of church I attend if I need to. And in this moment, you can see little places of possibilities of doubt man, this is sure a lot of trouble to go through. This is sure hard to live, right? It's hard to trust when you can't see and whenever you're in a bad spot and whenever you've given your whole entire life over to an idea and a belief in Christ and here's where it's gotten you. This is not what he had planned. This is not the future that he was promised. 
you know what? I thought if I believed in Jesus, then my life was going to be better than this, but it's not. My life feels like it has been trashed. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? When we look at verse 16, we see that the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet into the stocks. This is what the prison looked like right here. If you look at it, uh, the prison looked like, not like that. <laughs> the, the prison looked like this, and we can actually see into their jail cell. It's, the roof has collapsed over time, but we can see that they were in a, in a small room. No lights, just stones all around them. This is the, the prison at Delphi. This is the, the Apollo prison at Delphi. Had to be where they were put. This is the inner part of that prison. Had to be the dungeon. Paul and Silas really were there. These are real places and real people going through real problems. And sometimes I think that as Christians, as we read the word of God, we disassociate and we make it a legend and we make it a myth and we make it a, a Bible story that we knew when we were kids. But if you can really see yourself in that prison, then you and I can really understand that it had to be an inner dungeon. This is a place where depression meets anxiety. This is a place where we can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. This is a place that when we try to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, it doesn't work because we don't have the will that it takes to get ourselves up and out of that place. This is the place where no matter what you do or what you say always ends up sounding like an echo chamber. Because the walls are rock and when you pray, your prayers feel like they bounce off the ceiling and you don't feel anything and you don't see anything and all you do is feel like you're in pain. I call this the echo chamber of our heart because we find ourselves on a loop repeating the pain of our past experiences over and over and over again as our cries out to God play on a loop back to us and just reverberate the pain in our lives. What does this look like? It looks like walking through the grocery store and everything is okay. And then a wave of pain and grief go over your heart. It looks like walking out to the mailbox and everything is okay and you get that letter and all of a sudden, Fear and terror grip you because the IRS is hiring 80,000 new agents. <laughs> Had to go there. It, it, looks like, it looks like the fact that you refuse to open a wedding album anymore. It looks like the fact that you, you, you stop picking up phone calls because you see the name that scrolls across the screen. It looks like the fact that, that you just, no matter what you can do, what you do, you can't seem to get yourself out of that pain and that hurt and that grief. And, and, and if somebody asks you, are you okay? You don't really tell them because you know they're not ready for your response. They're not ready for the truth. And, and, and if we're gonna be real honest, you don't even wanna admit yourself whether you're okay or not because because you don't know what's going to come out of you. Am I going to be tearful and angry or mad? Am I going to just break down and cry? 
Is it going to look like a little bit of everything? I think somebody's been there this morning. And we, we feel that inside of ourselves and we don't know what's going to hit. And so we lock it up, we trap it up. We find ourselves in this dungeon that nobody can get to and we can't get out of. But something happens when you begin to open your mouth and instead of pain, you produce praise. Acts chapter 16, verse 25, around midnight. Somebody say midnight. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. Don't miss that point. Somebody else is always listening. And suddenly, say suddenly, there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its very foundation and the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. I need, I need somebody in here to understand something right now. That as Paul and Silas were praising and praying, other people could hear what was going on. And it didn't matter because right now everybody was in the same jail. Everybody could hear. There were lots of people that were locked up. But something about Paul and Silas sounded different, didn't it? Something about what they were doing didn't add up. Everybody was agony in agony. Everybody was yelling out in pain. Everybody was frightened. Everybody was, was mourning. But Paul and Silas weren't crying out in pain. They were crying out in praise. And it pierced through what was going on in everybody else's life. I need somebody in here to understand that everything sounds the same until somebody begins to praise and the praise of the, of the person releases the presence of the almighty God in your life and the walls of the prison and the foundation that it sits on will begin to rattle and move and shake and something happens in that moment. Something happens in that moment because they, the doors, God could have just spoke to them and the doors could have just opened. God, God could have just come and, and had an angel remove the shackles off their feet because that has happened before. But I, need, I, think, that, I think that the Lord wants to speak to somebody in here today and, and show them something through this scripture that God isn't worried about the complication and the hardship that you're experiencing because he's not worried about the jail. He's waiting for the praise because the gel isn't bigger than our God. He can shake the very foundation in which the gel is built on. And whenever you begin to praise, other people's chains can begin to fall. What would it be like? Let me ask you this question. What would it be like this morning if you realized that your praise could release other people from their prison? What would, it, what would your worship look like if you realize that God was not waiting on, that, that, that we weren't waiting on God, but God was actually waiting on us to begin to praise. That we ought to, as people of God, break the cycle of, of the groaning and the pain and the crying out, and instead we offer up a praise unto our God that releases the prison doors, that releases the shackles of chains, you see, some people are trying to get free from their prison while we ought to be as people of God trying to get free in our prison. Well, come on, somebody. 
And it happened at the midnight hour. When things looked darkest, when things looked grimmest, when the echo was the greatest. That means that they were doing a while without no action, without anything happening, without seeing anything. They were just praising God. And then the Bible says suddenly. It uses suddenly, it uses immediately. So that tells me that we can infer that we should praise and keep on praising and push a little further and praise and worship and lift our hands a little bit more and pray and then pray and then praise and then sing and then cry out to the Lord and believe that God is doing something even though we can't see it, even though we can't feel it, even though that, that we, can't, we can't know anything that is happening, we know that something's happening. We know that God is up to something, that God is about to release you from the prison that you find yourself in, that God is about to speak joy into your heart where there was pain and grief, that God is about to speak peace in your life when there is nothing but fighting, that God is about to release a blessing from heaven when you, all you could do is see curses here on earth. I'm not trying to be hyper-spiritual, but somebody needs to hear this this morning, that, that the way that you've been living your life is not by accident, it's not by chance, it's not because you've done something wrong, it's not because you've deserved it or earned it, but you are a child of God, and God has a blessing on the other side of this prison for you. You see, Christ's legacy, our, our Our testimony isn't made in the light. <laughs> Our testimony is made at midnight. Our testimony happens in the dark when nobody can see. Our testimony is when we're experiencing pain, but we still praise God. And I think somebody this morning needs to stand up on their feet and begin to worship the Lord. I think that somebody on their that in this place needs to stand up and begin to raise their hands as we prepare to go into worship this morning. We're going to ask the Lord to come into this place and do something mighty in our lives so that we get loose of these chains, that we get loose of the bonds, that we get loose of what's going on, and we start praising God and expecting miracles to happen. What would happen if your praise released somebody else from their jail?